Welcome to the Scott Ross Discipleship Podcast. Scott has been discipling men and women for more than 20 years and is passionate about helping you grow into the full measure of the maturity of Christ. Grab your Bible, something to write with, and your favorite warm beverage, and let's listen as Scott takes us deeper in our walk with God. Okay, so... um... And welcome, Natalie, is that right? To uh, She's a guest today. I guess this is your first time at FBC as, as well, or first time? Person. Yeah, in person, great. So um, if the class is awesome, we're a reflection of FBC. If you hate the class, they don't have anything to do with us. Right? They, they don't know what's going on. So this church is a fabulous, fabulous church. So um, we're in the midst of a study on the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of pneumatology. And so I wanted to just start with a little bit of a recap, a little pop quiz. If uh, you guys could maybe get your notes out and let's just reflect on a couple of the high level things we've already discussed. What have we learned so far? Huh? He's a person. Yes, the Holy Spirit is a person. That's correct. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. Anything specific about that that you uh, find significant or important that we remember? Equal with the Son and the Father. That's right. Uh, uh, the third person, person of the Trinity, right? So the Holy Spirit is not this force that's coming out of God or from God. The Holy Spirit is, an, is a third person that has a unique work. And we covered a lot of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's work uh, in the previous discussions. What else? What's the next big takeaway? He um, helps us to glorify the Father. That's true. I used to be this way too. Amongst many people like this, that okay, I'm gonna do this because the Holy Spirit said to. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of like this this mystical power to help you make decisions in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. How do we serve God? How the Holy Spirit help us serve God? Okay. What else? We're, li- we're leaving a really big one out, like the probably biggest thing other than the personhood. Do you see him? Yes. Hi, welcome. Hi. Come on in. Any seat you want. Okay. Uh, what's your name? Debbie. Debbie. Welcome, Debbie. We go to Debbie, too. Okay, great. Great, great, great. Wow, it's Okay, so yes, uh, Tali, what did you say? Oh, deity. Yes, the Holy Spirit is God, correct? Co-equal to the Father and the Son, not subordinate to the Father or the Son, not some sort of secondary, lower deity, right? Any, Any aspects of that that you can recall that you want to share? We saw the Holy Spirit's done some significant things, correct? What, what, where, is, where are we seeing some of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's work in Scripture? We did a little survey of that. Yes, the Holy Spirit was very active in creation. What's that? Okay, so the Holy Spirit was active in revelation. The Holy Spirit has been the mechanism of divine revelation. And the Scripture that we have has been 
brought forth by the Holy Spirit, actually, and we looked at a lot of cross-references about that. Um, we looked at examples from the New Testament where the New Testament would quote the Old Testament and say, the Holy Spirit said, and then quote the Old Testament, right? So not just the New Testament. In the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. First person to receive the Holy Spirit was Jesus. That's true. Okay, so we're going to continue along these lines, and then we're going to um, start to dive into what I'm going to refer to, or what theologians refer to as the progressive revelation of the Holy Spirit, uh, how the Holy Spirit has been revealed to us in Scripture and revealed to us in history, because His, re his revealing, His unveiling, if you will, has started in one place and kind of ended in another place, and we'll see that. So, um, just continuing this idea of his unity with the Father and the Son, I want to read you a really long quote. It's really long, and it's really, really powerful. So we're going to go slowly through it and just try to digest it with me. But I thought it would be very edifying to you. It's from Dr. F.B. Meyer, who um, there's a book called the, Introduction, or to, called the Ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he wrote the intro to that book, and this is, his, this is a quote from that intro. He says, Christianity is beset with three powerful currents which insidiously operate to deflect her from her course. Materialism, which denies or ignores the supernatural and concentrates its heed on ameliorating the outward conditions of human life. Criticism, which is clever at analysis and dissection but cannot construct a foundation on which the religious faculty may build and rest. And a fine literary taste, which has greatly developed of late and is disposed to judge of power by force of words or by delicacy of expression. So the church is beset with three forces that are not good. They are insidious and are going to deflect the church from its course. What are the three that it says? Materialism, criticism, and, 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 and we might say that this is, yeah, this is the way literary taste what he's referring to there is that we're wrapped up in what's eloquent. We're wrapped up in what looks good, yeah, right? It's ironic for considering his book. Right. Okay. So, so those are the three things. Do, by the way, do you see any of this today? No. <laughs> okay. To all of these, we have but one reply. And that is not a system, a creed, a church, but the living Christ who was dead but is alive forevermore and has the keys to unlock all perplexities, problems, and failures. Though society could be reconstituted and material necessities to be, even, be more evenly supplied, discontent would break out again in some other form unless the heart were satisfied with his love. The truth which he reveals to the soul and which is ensphered in him is alone able to appease the consuming hunger of the mind for data on which to construct its answer to the questions of life and destiny and God, which are ever knocking at its door for solution. Just restating that, only Christ can appease that which we hunger for. Everybody following so far? Okay. Unlike Correct. He says we could reconstitute society in all kinds of ways, and it's still people will still be unsatisfied. Mm -hmm. We're looking for these earthly solutions, and they're not going to work. 
And men have yet to learn that the highest power is not in words or metaphors or bursts of eloquence, but in the indwelling and outworking of the Word who is the wisdom and the power of God and who deals with regions below those where the mind vainly labors. Jesus Christ, the ever-living Son of God, is the one supreme answer to the restlessness and travail of our day. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, so... Who's the, what's the answer to all of our problems? Jesus. Jesus. What's the answer to the three things that the church is facing? Jesus. Okay, so now here's the key connection point. But he cannot, he will not reveal himself. Each person in the Holy Trinity reveals another. The Son reveals the Father. But his own revelation awaits the testimony of the Holy Ghost, which though often given directly is largely through the church. So who is the answer? Jesus. Jesus. But Jesus will not reveal himself. If Jesus is the answer, the access to that answer is going to come through whom? Exactly. What we need then, and what the world is waiting for, is the Son of God, born witness to and revealed in all His radiant beauty of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And He energizes with and through the saints that make up the holy and mystical body, the church. It is needful to emphasize this distinction. In some quarters, it seems to be supposed that the Holy Spirit Himself is the solution of the perplexities of our time. And do we see that? Do we see people acting like there's this mystical force that if we could only have it, it would answer our problems. It would tell us what to do. It would give us this supernatural power. It would make us rich. It would heal all our sickness, right? It, there's this sense that, oh, if we had the Holy Spirit, that's the answer. But we just saw who is the actual answer. Exactly. Now, what we may witness in some coming age, we know not. Oh, wait. It is needful to emphasize this distinction. In some quarters, it seems to be supposed that the Holy Spirit himself is the solution of the perplexities of our time. Now, what we may witness in some coming age, we know not. But in this, it is clear that God in the person of Christ is the one and one only and divine answer. Here is God's yea and amen, the alpha and omega, sight for the blind, healing for the paralyzed, cleansing for the polluted, life for the dead, the gospel for the poor and sad and comfortless. Now we covet the gracious bestowal of the Spirit that he may take more deeply of the things of Christ and reveal them to us. When the disciples sought to know the Father, the Lord said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. It is, in, it is his glory that shines on my face. He will that, his, his will that molds my life. His purpose that is fulfilled in my ministry. So the blessed paraclete, which the paraclete is another word in Scripture for the Holy Spirit. We'll see that when we get to the New Testament revelation. So the blessed paraclete would turn our thought and attention from himself to him, meaning Christ, with whom he is one in the Holy Trinity and whom he has come to reveal. Throughout the so-called Christian centuries, the voice of the Holy Spirit has borne witness to the Lord directly and immediately, directly in each widespread quickening of the human conscience, in each revival of religion, in each era of advance in the knowledge of the divine truth, in each soul that has been regenerated, comforted, or taught. Immediately, his work has been carried on through the church, the body of those that believe. But alas... 
how sadly his witness has been weakened and hindered by the medium through which it has come. He has not been able to do many mighty works because of the unbelief which has kept closed and barred those avenues through which he would have poured his glad testimony to the unseen and glorified Lord. The divisions of the church, her strife about matters of comparative unimportance, her magnification of points of difference, her materialism, her love of pelf and place and power, her accounting herself rich and increased in goods and needing nothing when she was poor and miserable and blind and naked. These things have not only robbed her of her testimony, but have grieved and quenched the Holy Spirit and nullified his testimony. Meyer was really, really good friends with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one of his best friends. Um, he was a Baptist from England, um, and he, he ministered on both sides of the Atlantic. So let's just review. What do, what do we see? What does he say in there? Somebody summarize that whole thing. Anybody want to take a shot at it? Because the church has become worldly, the Holy Spirit hasn't been able to glorify Christ. Correct. In the way that he would want to. That's right. So, what? Who is the answer? Jesus. Jesus reveals who, by the way? God. The Father. But who reveals Christ? The Holy Spirit. So, do you see the connection, the interconnection between the work of the three persons of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit works through whom? Church. The church. And what he says here is the church. The divisions of the church, her strife about matters of comparative unimportance, her magnification of points of difference. Do we see that today? We talked about before in a previous class about those things that are the negotiables and the non-negotiables, right? Those things that are essentials and non-essentials, I called them. There are essentials of the faith that should unify the body of Christ, and there are non-essentials of the faith that we should have ability to show grace to one another on. But those are the points that we spend all our time talking about, is the points of difference. There's whole theological conferences and ministry conferences that are all focused on these points of difference. And people find somebody who believes something different in a non-essential, and they won't even have fellowship with them. Like, I know people, um, I, there's, there's entire message boards that I read that are dedicated to making sure people don't read theologians who don't ascribe to their exact set of all the beliefs that they say are correct. Isn't that silly? And what this is saying is the church is divided over these little simple things, plus the church has become materialistic. If you're not familiar with that word pelf, that's your big word for the day, even though it's a small word. Uh, pelf is wealth. But it's a wealth that's been attained through some sort of means that aren't very honorable. Love of pelf and place and power. Her accounting herself rich when she was poor. This is, this is the, the challenge that we have as Christians today. Is to allow the Holy Spirit to operate in and through us in such a way that we bring people to Christ. And that we point people to Christ. Because Christ is the answer. And I think about our world today and all the division and all the hatred and the violence and the anger. You know what all that is? It's all fear. 
It's all just, I'm afraid that things aren't going to be the way I want them to be. And that basically says, I don't trust that God can sustain me no matter what the environment. I'm looking for some sort of external answer to my problem. I'm looking for a political answer. I'm looking for an economic answer. I'm looking for some sort of social media popular, being popular answer. And the answer is always Christ. And so what hopefully in this class we can do is learn obviously who the Holy Spirit is, but we can learn how He works in conjunction with the Father and with the Son through us to bring people to the ultimate answer. Do you think in America where ministries compete, you know, where there's an actual financial competition, hey, tithers come to my church or people donate to my ministry, yes. because of that financial component, yes. um, it's hard to just say, hey, we're all in this together. Well, and it yes, we have we have we have cre we have created, and you know uh, we have created a uh, a system of consumerism within the church, mm -hmm. where people evaluate a church based on its programs. Mm -hmm. What can it? What can it's like? I'm shopping at the mall, mm -hmm. and I'm going to pick out. And so now churches know our t we get tithes. It's like we basically sell our goods if we have more attractive goods than the store down the road. And so, you know, whether that's, you know, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And, and by the way, I, 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 there's, I, I want to be gracious to the church because the church at large is doing many, many powerful things. Um, and I, I don't want to only focus on negativity, but as an example, we talked about the fact that churches are paying professional musicians who are not believers to be in their worship band so that the worship is attractive to the person who walks in off the street, Amen. right? And so it's not, let's raise people up to f flourish in their gifts because if I walk in and the person's new and using their gift and they hit the wrong note, that new person would be like, oh, well, the worship here wasn't nearly as good as it was over there. Those people are killing it over there, right? They're like American Idol over there. That's what I want to deal with every Sunday. And we have this more consumer mentality of what can you do for me rather than how can I be grown into Christ's likeness in this environment? Well, imagine, you like discipleship. Imagine a church that says, if you come to our discipleship program here at this church, it's going to be tough. Yes. We're going to do, you know, a bunch of things. You're not going to like, it's going to stretch you, but man, you're going to know Jesus like you've never known him before. Mm -hmm. Well, and that it, is the thing that people don't sign up for. Yeah. Hey, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> well, you know, I did at my leadership summit last weekend, the focus of my leadership summit this year, the theme was transformational leadership. And the entire essence, if I was to boil the whole weekend down, what we were talking about is that all of the uh, academic thinking on leadership has discov discovered that virtue is the essence of great leadership. Even the secularists are now tossing out all these myths about leadership around like if you're a charismatic leader or you're super skilled or you have some great way to like you're a turnaround specialist financially or whatever. All of that doesn't matter. Virtue is what matters. And you have to take time to cultivate virtue in a person. So there's no shortcut, but the outcomes are far better. Well, we as the church should already know this, and we are trying to take shortcuts to the transformation. Like we have this notion of, well, like, and, and, and I'm just speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm making a broad brush generalization, which is always dangerous, so 
forgive me, and again, we want to give a lot of grace to the church at large, but the church has essentially said this, if we have attractive programs, that'll get the non-believer in the building and then good things can happen. So we got to have as attractive a program as possible. What we're forgetting is that's not been the model. The model was walk with me my son and you will become wise because as you walk with the wise you become wise. And Jesus said spend three years with me and grow into the person that you're going to be. It's a longer process but the outcome bears way more fruit. We're seeing the fruit of the shortcut. The fruit of the shortcut is America is becoming less like Christ over time, and the church is, is dwindling. The, you know, the, the kids who turn 19 and they go off to school, they're done, like, you know, at a rate of like 8 out of 10. They're not coming back. So the programs are not giving us the fruit. Instead, it needs to be this transformational process. And by the way, what's going to bear out all that transformation in us? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Okay. Yes, sir. It just reminded me of uh, a church I went to in California. They had a great <clears throat> Christmas program. Uh -huh. It was so wonderful, they decided to do it year after year after year. Mm -hmm. Every single year, uh, attendance to that thing just fell. Mm -hmm. Their end result was instead of thinking being more creative, mm -hmm. they went more to modern music and mm -hmm. things like that, kind of almost completely rejected traditional mm -hmm. traditional uh, things. Mm -hmm. and. Well, I'm sorry. It just reminded me of that when you were talking about the programs and people not coming back. Yeah. And the problem, too, is like we, we, we were in that environment. So, so like when you have all these, like we had monster trucks at our church and stuff like wow. that. Wow. That, that would happen. Were they Holy Spirit-led monster trucks? Yeah. <laughs> well, they would, they would actually stop in the middle of it and do a sermon. Oh, of course. Going, yeah. Right? So all these people would come to church and whatever, right? Stuff like that. The mm. problem is that the, like, the, the more you grow in Christ and you're around that environment, because they got to keep doing that. So people keep coming, and the people that are still like, like the baby Christians want to want to stick around, tell their friends about it. So they gotta have that that, that atmosphere there. Mm -hmm. When you start growing to Christ, you're like, oh, okay, kind of had enough of this, and then and then you want like what you were just describing. Mm -hmm. You want to walk with people that are discipling and whatnot, but they're too busy figuring out what's the next cool thing you can do to attract people. Mm -hmm. and well, they, and I, I that becomes like like the, like like something I hang on. Let me say that as I'm saying this, like I have to crucify myself daily. Because I'm attracted to shiny objects. And I have to remember that the long road of becoming an imitator of Christ, like I say all the time, my goal would be, and y'all are going to chuckle because obviously I'm way far away, but the goal would be, you look at me, and every now and then you're like, wait, was that Jesus? Like I saw it, like when he turned, it kind of looked like him. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to look just like Jesus. Well, that's a transformative process. It's like, you know, Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, which I highly recommend to everybody. It's like the why should you pursue spiritual disciplines. He just talks about this whole idea of, you know, the what would Jesus do bracelet. You know, he has this whole discussion of the what would Jesus do bracelet. Have you, you all remember those bracelets, the what would Jesus do bracelet? And uh, he, he says, look, you know, uh, no problem with the what would Jesus do bracelet. It's a fun idea. It's a nice thought. He's like, but the problem is, you can ask what would Jesus do, but that doesn't matter. The question is, can you do what Jesus would do, <laughs> right? Can you, can you love in the face of hatred? Can you uh, 
turn your eyes away from lust? Can you uh, take the, the high road and not the ill-gotten gain that would make you financially richer faster? Can you know all? Can you turn from temptation? Can you can you pour out and go that extra mile for the centurion who told you to carry his armor? You know these things. Can you actually do what Jesus would do? Well, the only way you can do it is if you train like Jesus trained. Right? He, like Paul says, I beat my body into submission. Well, that's not the easy process. That's not the shortcut. And so, you know, that's what the church, in my opinion, should be about is this idea of, you know, it says in Matthew 28, the Great Commission isn't go make believers of all nations. It's go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And that obedience part, we don't talk about. We talk about get out of jail free cards. It's like, come down the aisle, you won't go to hell. Won't that be awesome? And it's like, there's nothing at the end of that. It's like, that's the goal. I mean, that should be the starting gun, is salvation is the beginning of the sanctification process. And as we're going to learn, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us and drawing us into deeper relationship with Christ, who becomes the satisfactory answer to all of our problems. Question about something you said that I haven't really thought about. This, this could have a number of interpretations. When you said Paul beat his body into submission, uh -huh. what exactly? He just went through the spiritual disciplines. Like there's there's a core set of spiritual disciplines that have sustained the church for millennia and that we have gotten away from. You know, the, the, the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of solitude, the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of, of Christian fellowship, uh, hospitality. There's just Christian disciplines. And we see Christ model every one of those, and the church then ended up modeling them as well. And Paul talks about that. Like he says, you know, uh, uh, an athlete trains for a crown that will perish, right? Because they got the like, whatever, the little olive branch things or whatever, the wreath, the laurel wreath, yeah. He's like, the athlete trains for that. He's like, we train for something that is imperishable. So train like an athlete, and he says, run the race in such a way that you win. You would win. Well, think about it. If you were preparing as an athlete, what would you do? You would discipline yourself. You would, you would turn away this, you know, you'd turn down cake and, you know, Oreos, and you'd be in the gym early. And, I mean, clearly this is a metaphor, but these are the things that Paul did as well, as he was somebody who tried to become an imitator of Christ. And something I talk about with my discipleship group all the time that's remarkable to me, we even focused on it as a part of the Leadership Summit last week, is Paul says this crazy thing multiple times in Scripture. Paul says, imitate me. He doesn't say imitate Jesus. That's pretty crazy. That almost sounds arrogant. But the reason is, is they can't see Jesus, but they can see him. And he knows he's determined to imitate Jesus. So he's confident, if you'll just imitate me, you're good. That's pretty crazy. That's the idea of discipleship. Thanks for listening. We pray this has been edifying. If you've enjoyed the show, please give us a shout out on your favorite social media platform. Scott's username on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Scott Ross Online. That's Scott Ross Online, all one word. Also, please remember to go to scottrossonline.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, and discuss what you've learned with others. Until next time, continue to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. God bless you.